Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal. And I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi listeners, welcome to another episode of Melting Pot, a series of conversations with very diverse and passionate people from across the globe. My guest today is Justin Fu. Justin has 14 years experience in food and beverage and he's also a content producer. So I'm not going to add anything else to this. Let's just hear Justin's story from the man himself. Hi, Justin. Hi, Payal. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm so honored. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for finding the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm also really, really excited to hear your, your story. Where did it all begin? Were you always someone who had a passion for food? You know, just love to hear it all. <laughs> Sure, so let me take over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good idea. That's the whole point, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 all right. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, I'm a, a chef and also a food content producer. So, a, a lot of times people get confused. So, what am I doing? So, my usual answer is I'm doing everything. <laughs> but, my, you know, my love really stems from food. Uh, so, whatever I do on, on screens, I do the same thing on a plate. And that's what I, you know, that's my tagline, right? So I compose screens and I also compose plates. And it all stems from this, you know, obsession with food. And um, that actually was uh, was more of a, an, I would say half nature and half nurture. Uh, it's because I grew up in a family of chefs, of uh, people who love food. My uncle, you know, he was a hawker selling prawn noodles in Tunning Hall. And he was quite famous, and he was there for like 40 years. I mean, unfortunately, he has passed on. Uh, on my mom's side, my grandfather was a chef. And my grandfather met my grandmother at the restaurant. So oh, it was one of those situations where one in the kitchen and one in the dining room. And then they met, and then they fell in love. And two generations later, me happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think what's more relatable to me was about my dad because he, he loves to eat. You know, he's someone who uh, I used to be a really fat kid, so he he was responsible for that. 
we we moved over um, overseas as well. I mean, you mentioned yourself you're a traveler, so I think you also understand like you know when you go overseas, you the first thing you want to do is to discover. Yeah. And the best way for me to to do it was through food. So I discovered American food because I was in in Austin, Texas for a while, and that really made me balloon up. <laughs> <laughs> And American food can do that to people, right? Exactly. Because it's food in plenty, yes, and yes, yes, yes. the portions are so large. And at the same time, a lot of it is fried. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. A barbecue, so, barbecue. Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, could use yeah. some right now. <laughs> <laughs> But you just mentioned to me that you've just um, oh, come yes. to see me after. For wonderful person I just met recently. Um, he's from Iran, and he does. Um, he's a third generation caviar producer. So caviar, of all for those who don't know, they're really the the first few fishes that did these eggs that's you know really expensive and in a tin and nice and salty, briny and creamy. Those originate from Iran, and he's a third generation. And he lives in Singapore. He lives in Singapore, okay. and he does many other things. So outside of caviar tasting, I also had some uh, amaniac, and uh, you know, Ooh, fancy, this fancy. Is, yeah, <laughs> totally fancy. And then you walk into my podcast uh, interview. Excellent. So I yeah. think, I think we're gonna hear a lot of interesting things today. So coming back to your dad mm-hmm. and you living in Austin, Texas and so you got used to American food and that's when you said you gained weight so you were influenced because your dad you said was a foodie mm-hmm. so moving on from there uh, yeah so I mean I guess food never left the my mind you know and to today especially coming up to such a intense and <laughs> wonderful brunch I would say and then came to the point where one of those milestones where you know some people go through a lot of trials and everything for me it was my dad who passed on when I was 15 so already that love for food was just ingrained in me because he used to travel a lot and sometimes he spend time overseas and we'll be in another country so what I really look forward to was all the dinners that we had together or rather supper you know because he comes back like 2am 4am and then we go out and eat so upon his departure I thought hmm what should I do? You know, I, I want to honor him. He was in marketing. He was in the silicon industry. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that celebrated his life. So it was always about the interactions that I had with him. All over food. So I thought, okay, since he liked to eat, why not I cook? So, you know, I, I, under certain stress uh, on, in that circumstance, one would be able to make a life decision quite easily. So ever since I was 15, I told myself, okay, I want to be a chef. So, upon graduation, O-levels, which I did not bad, right? I came from a a neighborhood school, and they were very upset that I didn't go to JC because I affected their data and score points. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat in the principal's office, you know, had the talk. But no, I said, I want to do food, I'm going to do food. So at 16, after my O-levels, I went to my very first job. It was in a cafe, and I, I wanted to get my hands wet. My licks really, really wet and knee deep into what I was going to do. Because I told my mom and she wasn't convinced. Coming from a chef family, there are a lot of troubles that they went through. My grandfather had mental illnesses, so he actually succumbed to it much earlier on. So my, my mom naturally had this aversion to say, hey, you know, it's really tough. Are you sure you want to be a chef? I said, yes. So why don't I try and I'll let you know how it goes. 
So into my second day of the job at this cafe somewhere in you know in Harbourfront area, I shall not name what. You know, just this particular chef, and this was in two thousand and six. I was sixteen. And that's the year I moved to Singapore. You did two thousand six. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you it was a very different time back then. It you know? was. Yeah. I think. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think between two thousand six and today, Singapore has. I find that with food, there's so many more choices mm. now. There's so many more restaurants, different mm. cuisines. Um, there's a lot of experimentation that's yes. happening around food, yes, and yes. Uh, which is why you know people refer to Singapore as a melting, melting pot. pot. Exactly. And you know, it's just <laughs> it's like my my podcast series. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's clearly you know a lot of diverse cultures, which. May and also within Singaporeans, the ethnicity in an, and how everyone kind of blends in and lives together, mm-hmm. which is like a melting pot. It's the diversity, but also I feel that there's a lot of different food that has come in, and I think yes, food yes, yes. is most definitely a binder. It's something that talks to you, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, so. I do see a change in yeah. Singapore in that yeah. sense, yeah. I feel, you know, I always say that food is like a conversation you have without words. It's something, it's a message you want to send over to your diners or a conversation you want to share with, with someone without having to say anything. And in 2006, the conversations were less as yeah. compared to now. Yeah, yeah. And right now, it's, you know, it's, it's really an open market. I love it. I love how we have, have progressed and how we can we can see that, you know, our, our food is diverse, but also the people that we, we see in Singapore is really diverse. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the type of people that we yeah, have. Absolutely, as well. yeah. Somehow it's weird, it's, 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 it's correlated. But anyway, back then, right? In 2006, my second day of work, it was a lunch crowd. I was on the sandwich station and we were serving this, I don't know, out of the sudden, it's like the whole office block wanted to go down and have our sandwiches, right? It's as if they knew that I was there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Justin has arrived. <laughs> and it was just a nightmare. And I, I remember I just I stood there and froze. I didn't know what to do. And orders were just stacking up and stacking up. So the chef, he was a Singaporean, trained by a Hong Kong chef, and landed himself in a Western cafe, you know. So obviously there are, there are certain things that he has learned. And... He, the way of disciplining me was to use a, a heavy Chinese wok ladle and to smack it against my forehead to ask me to wake up. Wow. And I did wake up then, right? So my, I was bleeding slightly. And, but what's, I didn't really feel pain because I, I was just so wrapped up in the moment. And this thought went through my mind, do I want to quit now? Because I have all the reasons to. Or do I want to continue? Prove to my mom that I'm okay with this. And I will get over this. So I got over it. I just said, yes, chef. I just did whatever I could and whatever I was able to. And just, you know, soldiered through the night and through the afternoon. And I think from there, I, I, I gained some sort of footing in the adult world. And I knew how to, to navigate it slightly. Uh, because I think back then, for any 16-year-old, they expect you to just quit. You know, yeah. They're really just pushing the limits and saying mm-hmm. that, okay, this is not for you. Go, go home, you know? And I didn't want that. I wanted to say, I'm here to stay. So that translated already when I was... My, my passion for food and wanting to be a chef translated already when I was 16. 
And then we fast forward to, you know, after my army, I went to Canada. I did my chef school. And um, I think the experience in Canada was really another life-changing one because this is when I, I, I learned in a pristine environment how to be a chef, how to cook. What are the techniques? What kind of people that you're going to meet with? And it was a place where I could really extend my creativity. But then again, I was, I was living alone. It was my first time living alone. And it was a lot of things to handle. And you know, outside of managing your own pursuit of a career, I also realized that there is also this management of self and how to be okay by yourself. Because I basically just uprooted my whole life in Singapore. The friends I've made, the people I know, they were no longer there and I was like halfway around the world, different time zone. And after a while, you also realize that people move on, you know? And you gotta be okay with that, especially when you're doing a job this intense. And that's when I learned. Of course, I went through a little bout of slight depression, but I learned how to manage it, you know? I and which part of Canada were you in? This was in Ottawa, the, the, the coldest. capital. Not the coldest, but also very cold. It was yeah. minus 40. And then I think, even though you, d you did mention that you lived in Texas, but I think if, you know, you get used to the Singapore weather and then you get thrown into that kind of yeah. minus 40 degrees, it can be very... It's cold, it is literally, cold. and even otherwise. You know, you, you, yeah. I can understand your loneliness then. Mm, I mean, you have moved around as well. Yeah, and yeah. I think for you, you draw strength from a change in environment. Yeah. But, you know, for a, for a 19, 20-year-old guy, what goes on in most Singaporeans' minds is, oh, I want to hang out with my friends, right? That assumption was no longer assumed because I have no friends. I have to make friends. And this is something that we do. We are so, you know, set in motion. We grow up in the schools and we are already surrounded by a fixed group of type of people. But then suddenly... You, the, even the, the races of your friends or this new group of people that you're seeing is different the language they speak is the same but the accents are, are, are different and the nationalities are just so diverse but again I, I loved it I loved it but um, sometimes I just miss the touch of home yeah and it was my first time living alone so anyway I, I got over it you know I, I managed pretty well and it just made me a person I am today because after that whole experience, I'm someone who can just travel overseas and make a ton of new friends. Because it's, you know, it's like, I've done this before. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, but um, I, I don't have that freedom yet because after school, I came back and I, I worked. Uh, and I worked uh, in fine dining restaurants. The one, the most prestigious one I, I worked at was the one who got two stars recently before they closed. And then I moved on to working at other fine dining uh, establishments, you know, managing team, moving up the hierarchy. So I, I always say, I'm always very proud of the fact that when I was 24, I was the head chef of Senso, uh, which is an Italian fine dining. And, and at that point of time, right, in 2014, no guys my age were having this role, especially for a Singaporean, you know, because no Singaporeans want to do this job. They're all like, you know, they run away and do something else. They, figure that I cannot deal with this stress so I was very proud of myself for doing that I had a, a ton of training ton of experience that uh, led a team 
that was made out of Malaysians, Singaporeans, and also one uh, a few Europeans. But I came to realize that times were changing as well. You know, how I learned was the hard way. You know, I got bashed in the head, and I, I received that vaccination. You know, after that, I I worked with this very tough to work with chef. Um, I work with Andre, and he is an artist. And certain artists are very eccentric. He is no exception. <laughs> but I did learn a lot from how he thinks and how he creates, and just how he moves and navigates this whole life of being a chef. And still, I I, I learn and I practice some of the things that he taught me until today. And I think, you know, learning is always. Prevalent in any stage of your life. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, you can't stop learning ever.、Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you persevered, and you know, you. I mean, so obviously that that determination in you to succeed is is quite commendable. You know, you could have, despite sort of going through all that you did in terms of the hard work, in terms of. Getting whacked in your, you know,、um, the second day of work,、um, mm-hmm. you still pushed and you pushed and you pushed because you really, really wanted、uh, to prove a point to your mum.、Mm-hmm. Also, well, of course, and、yeah. to myself, and to yourself、mm-hmm. that you can do it. And I think anything is possible if you put your mind, your heart, and soul into it. It's、mm-hmm. possible to achieve. So,、exactly. yeah. So, I mean, today. You are a. I know you've mentioned to me in the past that you don't like the word celebrity, <laughs> and <laughs> but、yeah. you still are a celebrity chef.、Uh, I would rather call it a food personality, a chef personality. A chef personality.、Yeah. I know you did mention it to me before <laughs> our conversation, but yeah. So you. So what is the kind of work that you're doing now? You're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe. With me, Pio, on this very unique and special podcast series, Melting Pot. I guess when you know, from all those times, all those years working in the kitchen, I stepped into this food content, and also being a food content producing and being a chef personalities because I wanted to speak out for. For for us chefs, essentially, and especially for the food that us Singaporeans do. So, what do I do as a chef personality? I do, you know, of course, I still cook and private dinners.、Um, I I cook for TV. I cook for some online channels as well. So, what do you do? Like live cooking? I do live too. You、yeah. do live as well. But most of the time, I do like pre-recorded, you know, in the studio. Or you know advertisements if they need to, it's either I'm on screen or I'm producing what's on screen, yeah. Because I I, I do food, so I know yeah, I know、so、you how know your, your, yeah, food your, affects the soul and how you know when、yeah. you see it,、uh, you know you can see an egg yolk running down the the side of the textured rice. You know it can be it can be very very sensual, and I think it takes a chef to know. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, I I totally、yeah. agree with you, and I think. Um, food, yes, the taste, but also visually.、Mm. If it's not appealing, I think it's it's a mental thing where you get put off. Yes. So yeah, it's yeah. yeah that's especially now, right? In, in Instagram age and digital age, people eat with their eyes first. They decide with what's online before they even go into reviews. You know, if they don't see a, a good plate, they don't even bother the reviews. 
So yeah, capturing the eyeballs is very very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why I do what I do. You know, I, I I don't just work on myself as a chef personality, but I also help other chefs. You know, some of them I I, I get it. You know, when they hit either the quarter life or midlife crisis, they start to question where they're going in the industry, and they want more for themselves. And I think every chef, those who have made some success, has a story, and just needs to be encouraged. And how I encourage is just to listen to them, and to make a video or make a story out of them. And from there, they are they're very very proud of themselves, you know. Because I'm I'm just there to 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 build the story for them, based on what they've given me. Hmm. And then because they will. I guess they can't share communicate correct. enough. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And does that then motivate them again? to yes, continue yes, yes. to do what they're doing yeah I mean they are very excited to, to share about their craft all of a sudden because they have a good piece of media asset to put out there yeah yeah. and, and that's very important for people yeah uh, and today I think that's the most important thing people mm-hmm. are just out there because there are so many platforms available mm-hmm. for people to actually showcase mm-hmm. what they do which otherwise in, probably in 2006 was not possible yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. so I think you have to go along with the times yeah, yeah. and you did mention that you're doing some research and you're producing content revolved around the hawkers, hawkers. Oh, yes, yes, yeah yes. so tell my listeners more about that firstly right. I think a little bit for those who are not familiar with Singapore, a little and the whole food court and hawk, not so much food court because mm. food court is available. I mean, um, you have them all over the world. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. commercialized. Mm. But the hawker centers are very typical of Singapore. That's right. So, mm. if you could just share a little bit of the history of mm. the hawker centers and what it is that you're doing with them now. Alright, so a bit of a backstory about where hawkers began. Alright, um, some of the listeners might know that there's this whole debacle about hawker culture being not Singaporean but actually Malaysian. To me, it's the same thing. But why is it particularly important that it happens in Singapore? Is how we started and how where we are today. How we started was really just folks who want to make a living on the streets, on the side of the road, you know, having some charcoal fire, cooking for their friends, and then they tell their friends, and then suddenly they are, fix- they are a fixture on this road, like um, our Hokkien Mee, you know, the, the fried Hokkien prawn noodles. Before it was called Rocho Mee, because all the, the folks along that road, on Rocho Road, were selling this kind of noodles. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I had no idea. That's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah and now, so that's why we, our Hokkien Mee stems from what people know as Rocho Mee. Uh, in Malaysia, the Hokkien Mee stands from something else. It's really like Hokkien people or something. But a hawker in general is someone who, who sells food for a living, right? And they, you know, one day they decided to just clean up the streets. So all the hawkers on the streets, no more, no longer. You don't see that anymore in Singapore. They're all in really well-maintained, well-cleaned uh, centers, which, you, which anybody can bid for and anybody can be a hawker. As long as you're a Singaporean, or I think PR also can. I'm not so sure. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really a a good opportunity for people who love food to try out their hand in business, to do a a trade that is not different from way back when, back in the 50s, 40s, which is just a cash transaction of food from the, the services you offer, right? I cook, you pay for what I cook for. 
And I think that's the beauty of it. You know, it's very simple. Now, the, the story now stems on from who the people are, where they come from, and what's so special about these hawkers in Singapore. I think in Singapore, we do it so well that we have a good mix of all the races, different kinds of cuisines, and you see really all age groups going to the hawker centres. And no matter how rich or poor you are, you know that you can go back to the hawkers to get any cuisine you want in Singapore for a really affordable price. And that's why I think hawkers in Singapore do it very well. Because I sit down and I see the interaction between people. It's just so beautiful. You know, the uncles are always there. You know, some of them at 8am, they start drinking beer. <laughs> Life ambition. <laughs> Then we have also the kids, you know, who, who uh, sometimes follow their, their parents or, or they're their friends. So it's a very social space for every age group and every race. An affordable social space. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think, you know, in, in, when I was in my teens, a young adult, I don't want to go hawkers, you know, because it's hot, uncomfortable and not cool. But as we, we grow older, I think we, we come to realize that we need to keep this part of what's us, yeah. us Singaporean. So that's why I've been documenting hawkers in general because to have the traditional taste of a good hawker fare that was you know present in the in the nineteen forties to sixties or whenever they started is very hard to find now. A lot of things are, are industrialized. A lot of hawkers buy from food manufacturers. They no longer make it by hand. And before these folks you know retire, I want to make sure I've documented it. So my food content. So are you saying that uh, the next generation is not wanting to do what they're? Yeah, I mean, in, in, they're not inheriting these uh, stalls. It's, it's, they don't it's want to. It's a tough to? job. It's a tough job, you know, and, and it's off, more often than not thankless. And you know, uh, if I tell you, if you can be an IT consultant that makes you know uh, twenty five thousand dollars a month, as compared to, you can make the same amount, but you have to work every day without any rest from morning 4am all the way to evening 7pm. Do you want to do that? Can you really make $25,000 Oh gosh! with a hawker stall? Sometimes more, if your food is good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can. It's a cash business, right? So mm. It's also, also quite known that for all those well-to-do hawkers who have good recipes and good consistency, the cars they drive are really impressive. They are like Mercedes or BMWs and Audis and they can afford things because it's it's really a fast moving cash business but again it's tough it's tough work not everybody wants to do it not everybody wants to dedicate their life to it so I, I mean not even me I don't think I can do the same thing but what I can do is, is I dedicate whatever I do to, to make sure there's a record of these people it's archived, it's archived. for the future yeah, yes. yeah. yeah because as from what I understand what you're saying is that the next generation or the current generation and the generation after will probably not be interested or in in sweating it out at a food stall and making mm. money where they can have an education and go and sit in a corporate mm. environment in mm. air conditioning and mm-hmm. or they could yeah. also own restaurants that are not just Stalls, right? Yeah, I mean, it's we have to progress with times. Yeah. Um, the the usual questions uh, when I ask my hawkers, then when I interview them, is how do you start? Most of the time, is they have no other choice. You know, I, they have to make a living. 
And right now in the situation, uh, the next generation or generation after, usually they don't have that question in their mind. Nobody thinks that, oh, I have to make a living so I become a hawker. Yeah. So the starting point will be, okay, I've made a living. Maybe this is, I'm done with that. I'm done with being a banker or I don't want to be a fund manager anymore. So I've made my, I made my wealth. So I would just do what I want to do, which is food. Right. And that's okay. That's okay to be to have that passion as a starting point, right? And if you wanted to, to be a hawker and sell nasi padang or nasi lemak for the next for the rest of your life, why not do it? As long as someone is doing it, I'm happy, you know. But the the next few stories that we're gonna have after will not be the same as what we have right now. And these are these are important to keep for me. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think you you some there has to be that legacy which mm. is it goes down as again archival and as something that people can always refer back mm. to so it's a part of the culture i think it is it is yeah and yeah. Uh, for it and the fact that the different ethnicities that make up singapore are all in there mm. and uh, cooking their type of food mm-hmm. and then sharing it. And yeah. also it's an experience. I mean, the rather upmarket hawker center, for example, would be like a Lao Pa Sat, which mm, yeah. is a Fair very enough. touristy yeah. kind of place as well. Mm-hmm. But that's where it's like, and the way it's been created, mm. it is something which tour guides or I'm sure in the different uh, platforms you know that talk mm. about Singapore mm. they have Lao Passat as a hawker center to go to so yeah. that's some sort of it defines, defines a bit Singapore. of the, uh, yeah. Uh, the culture yeah exactly and the thing is Singaporeans would go to Lao Passat yep, yep. Yeah, it's not like something that is you know specially curated for tourists it's not real so I mean it's just one of these things where it's very accessible uh, to anyone from around the world to to discover Singapore. Like the first thing you do, go it's to a hawker centre. And anyways, yeah. I think food is normally the first thing that people want to understand other than all the touristy, you yeah. know, typical spots. I mm-hmm. think food is something which people do like mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to know more about, especially in Asia. I think yeah, there's yeah, yeah. so much variety which... Mm-hmm. Is, is quite fascinating and mm. Singapore has a lot of that mm. it, you know so I mean it offers the different types of Asian food mm-hmm. plus obviously whether it's European it's it's Peruvian it's whatever exactly. it's yeah. all here I, you know I, I like how you how you mentioned that it's all here and the thing is when we when I mean to listeners out there from anywhere around the world when you come to Singapore be excited about the choices here, but I, I, I challenge everyone to dig a bit deeper. You know why are why is Peruvian food here? You know or like in the sudden influx of China Sichuan food is 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 has picked up so much from the past ten years. Why is that so? And Spanish, I've noticed that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, to understand the food trends of of Singapore, um, you also understand Singaporean people. You know, um, come to know that, oh, what are we really excited about? And what are things that we all share, you know? So, for example, maybe a Spanish person who is tuning in, you know, you know that your food is slightly spicy, you know, very earthy in terms of spices. And we have that too in Singapore, you know? So, that it's, a, it's a great way to open conversation as well, 
right? If you we both like spicy food, oh, we can discuss so much about it. You know, yeah. I can give you an itinerary where to go for all kinds of spice. You know, from the Indian spice to the Chinese spice to the Malay spice to the Spanish spice, yeah. which they adapted Singaporean styles to serve Spanish food. So uh, dig dig a bit deeper, you know, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so listen <laughs> and listen. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of things you can discover. About yeah, food. yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, food in it's it's incredible how it just brings people together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's I mean, you t- you talk food, you taste. It's the flavors. It's like you said, food is also a conversation starter. Mm. So yeah, that's interesting. Thank you so much, Justin. I mean, I've, I've learned so many different things. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you about Singapore, despite you you've know, been here for so you quite amount of time, right? Yeah, although I did go away mm. for five years mm-hmm. and then came back again, so this is like my second stint. But it's yeah, I'm always discovering. It's interesting that if I went away for a few months and I came back, I would I would see a new restaurant mm. or a new area suddenly developing with. A lot of energy, a lot of different mm. kinds of food, uh, restaurants, bars, and then I'd say, "Oh, but five months ago it didn't <laughs> exist." So I think that's what makes um, Singapore exciting because mm. it's just ever evolving, yeah. you know. And we have, we have a lot of passion, and uh, we have a lot of people who can who have very expensive hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not complaining for consumers. But <laughs> Yeah, and Mm. and I think it's also therefore um, an interesting place for people to want to come and live for a few Mm. years. Because, I mean, earlier it used to be Hong Kong, but, Mm. you know, now it's clearly Singapore. And uh, and all the effort that's going into it, I think, is, is quite fascinating. And there's always something new to learn, Mm. which is what I really like about being here. And... Obviously, I've enjoyed this conversation. Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you for sharing your story with the listeners and with me. Thank you so much. It did not feel like I was meeting Justin for the first time. He was as curious to hear my journey as I was to hear his. I like the way he refers to himself as a personality chef and not a celebrity chef. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have bringing it to you. Do stay tuned for a lot more exciting episodes on Melting Pot with me, your host, Pyle. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.